pray together. God of Easter hope, we thank you for being close to us, hearing our prayers and inviting us to come together and to pray for one another. Resurrected Messiah, we come before you from different paths, some of us certain of your joyful presence in our lives, some of us not so certain of the hope of being touched by your joy. Yet we are all here reaching out to you for understanding, for hope, for joy, for new life. Meet us here today, Lord. We pray for those who live in fear. We remember those who live with depression and feeling alone and walking through dark valleys. Help us all to believe the resurrected Lord is with us, traveling through these difficult periods and journeys and helping us to process all of our fears and our doubts and to trust you. We pray for those who are afraid to open their doors due to fear of war and violence in their community, for those unable to pay their bills, for those in fear of embarrassment or anxiety of the unknown around them, and many who just simply feel insecure by all the threats of the life that they see. Open our eyes, God, to see the presence of Christ in the midst of this chaos. We remember today all the saints who have gone before us. We celebrate everything that they have taught us about life, to face challenges, to be bold, to learn from failures, to be devoted in faith, to question the unknown, to also accept the mysteries, to love the present, and in creating paths for us and future generations to come to believe. And God of resurrection, we ask that you would receive our prayers and help us to befriend our fears and doubts and increase our belief in you. Resurrect in us the hope of life as Jesus did for his disciples and the many who lived in this world and that have taught us. We pray, God, that we will continue to proclaim your peace and new life to those now and those who come behind us. And we pray all these things in the name of the risen Christ. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in the fall of 2020, an American sports comedy drama came onto the scene called Ted Lasso, and it quickly became a fan favorite. After the first season, it won four Emmys. After the second season, it won seven Emmys. And the main character of the show is Coach Ted Lasso. And Coach Lasso is an American college football coach who's hired by the owner of a British soccer team to come be the coach. She's actually hoping to lose, and she's pretty sure Ted will help them do that. The thing about Ted is that he knows nothing about soccer. Not a thing. And so for the whole first season of the show, he's learning the rules, he's learning the lingo, he's learning a lot about British culture. And a lot of people underestimate him, and he doesn't know a lot about soccer, but he knows people, and he believes in them. And throughout the show, there's these successes that he has with his teammates, these players that he's in charge of, even though there's not much success on the field. So with the aging and injured player Roy, 
Coach Lasso is patient and understanding. With the young up-and-coming star who's hot-tempered, Jamie, he teaches them lessons on humility. And for the overlooked equipment manager, Nate, Ted sees in him strategy and invites him to share in his power by helping the team achieve some victory. It's beautiful stories of hope and belief. It's Ted's charm, his personality, his humor, his folksy optimism that really eventually wins everyone over. Although the town folk are the last to come along, those fans of AFC Richmond, they're tough. And through the whole first season, they rag on him like only the British can do. You know, they want to win. And kindness and compassion don't win games. But according to Ted Lasso, that's not the point of all this. And as he tells one reporter in the show, success is not about the wins and the losses. It's about these young men and having them achieve success on and off the field. And it ain't easy, he says. But neither is growing up without someone believing in you. And that really is what Ted's philosophy is, believe. And so at the end of the very first episode of the show, Ted makes this poster pretty close to this, and he tapes up on the locker room wall above the door. And in one word, believe, he sums up his philosophy, that we believe in one another, that even though these players doubt themselves and they doubt one another and they doubt whether they can do it, Ted Lasso says, I believe in you. I believe, and that's the power of this team. And even when Ted has his own moments where he struggles to believe in himself, because that's honest, he still marches on, believing in what they can accomplish together, not just as soccer players and as a team, but as individuals who show up. And this poster in the show becomes its own character. I mean, it's beloved. And it makes you want to go into a place and have this up there and high five it in the locker room and say, I believe too. But believing isn't easy, is it? I mean, it's one thing to say, believe. It's another thing to actually believe. And I imagine all of us have moments where we're dealing with something in life, we're struggling to believe in ourselves or some unknown circumstance in our life or the future, and someone says, you just need to believe. And I always want to say, oh, wow, thank you so much for telling me that. I did not understand. So yes, I will just believe, and everything will be fine, and it'll be easy. But believing isn't easy. Whether you are a losing British soccer team or an individual in the 21st century where it's a culture full of skepticism or whether you are a follower of Jesus in those first early days after his death. So last Sunday on Easter Sunday, we spent time with Mary and her story about that morning where she went to the tomb early in the morning in the darkness to grieve the loss of her Lord and she saw that the tomb was empty and she ran back to tell Peter and the, the disciple that Jesus loved and they ran to the tomb with Mary right on their heels and they saw too what she did, that the tomb was empty and surely someone has stolen our Lord's body. And they go back, but Mary lingers. She stays at the tomb, she stays in the garden, she weeps and there as she's looking for Jesus, he appears to her and he calls her name. Mary, and she believes. And she goes to the disciples and she tells them, I've seen the Lord, and this is what he said. 
And this is what he did. Now, later on that day, Jesus appears to his disciples in the room. And again, later, he'll appear in that same room to disciples with Thomas. The Bible doesn't tell us who was exactly there for each appearance. We don't really know. The only thing it tells us, and the difference between the two, is that Thomas wasn't in the first appearance, but Thomas was there for the second one. And his reputation has been forever changed because of that experience. And for my opinion, not in a good way, not rightfully. So have you ever had a nickname or you know someone who got a nickname that you weren't really fond of or maybe it was for a period of time in your life but it didn't really fit you um, or someone in your family didn't really like it, especially your mama who named you a certain name and doesn't want it to be shortened or abbreviated or nicknamed in any way. So um, the NBA uh, star, Irvin Magic Johnson. So when he was a 15-year-old football player, because of his football skills, a local sports reporter gave him the nickname Magic because he was outstanding on the football field. And um, his mother protested. She was a devout Christian and she didn't like that nickname because she thought it was sacrilegious. Well, 49 years later, she's still disappointed because the nickname stuck and almost everyone refers to him as Magic. Well, for Thomas, Thomas, somewhere along the way, gets labeled Doubting Thomas, and it's forever that way. Thomas, who was one, the twin, one of the 12, this becomes the moniker that he's known for throughout his life and story. And you may have heard it, it's become part of our culture to say if someone is someone who can't believe something without their own personal experience, well, they're a Doubting Thomas. You maybe heard that in a book or a movie or a show. It comes from this story that you need to require a personal experience in order to believe. But friends, there's so much more to the story of Thomas than this moment. Even though he's one of the 12 and he's not in scripture a lot, there's these beautiful moments where Thomas is anything but skeptical or um, doubting. In fact, when Mary and Martha get word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is very sick, um, that's a time when Jesus was already being hunted, kind of, by the religious authorities. They wanted to do him harm. And for Jesus and his followers to go back to where Lazarus was would have put them in grave danger. It was close to Jerusalem. But after a time, Jesus says, I'm going back there. And Thomas is the disciple that speaks up and says, we're going with you, even if it means death. That doesn't sound like someone who's always doubtful or skeptical to me. See, we don't really know why Thomas wasn't in the room that morning. Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, maybe he got the short straw and he was the one that had to go pick up the pizza. I don't know. Maybe he left town after Jesus died because of all the fear and the turmoil in the city and he had gone away for a bit. We don't really know. All we know is that he was not there, but you can guarantee he heard about it. I mean, really, can you just imagine the disciples when Thomas gets there? It's like, Thomas, you are not going to believe this. You're just not. You know how Mary said he's seen the Lord? We've seen the Lord too. We were here, the doors were locked and he just appeared right here among us. And he said, peace be with you. And then he showed us the scar in his side and in his hands, we didn't even ask him, he just showed us the scars. And he said, peace be with you again. And then he like said, you know, you're gonna be sent just like the Father has sent me. And then he like breathed on us and said he gave us the Holy Spirit and then now you're supposed to go forgive. Thomas, it was incredible, <laughs> you totally missed it. We've seen the Lord. 
I mean, what a time to be out, right? What a time to be gone and to, to miss this. Thomas, I know he's hearing what they're saying, and I know he knows that they wouldn't be lying, but he needs to experience this for himself, to believe. And we give Thomas a really hard time about this. You're doubting Thomas, he should have had more faith. But honestly, you know how much we struggle to believe, right? Like some of you, when you're leaving the house, couples, and the wife will ask the husband, did you lock the front door? And they're like, yeah. And somehow you sneak back in to check for yourself because you don't quite believe, even maybe if they've never left the door unlocked. You just have to see it for yourself. It's part of our human nature. Thomas is asking for what the others experienced. I mean, they saw the scars. He wants to see them too. He wants to touch them so that he too can believe and experience Jesus that way. And if we're honest, what would it take for us? If we had been in that room, what would we have requested in order to believe? Would we believe the Christian community around us enough? Would their word be enough? Or would we need to touch the scars ourselves? Well, a week later, Jesus again appears to the disciples, this time with Thomas in the room. And Jesus invites Thomas to do the very thing that Thomas asked in order to believe. Jesus says, touch my scars. Put your hand here and see. Jesus says, touch them and do not be unbelieving, but believe, Thomas. Now, what's interesting is that scripture doesn't tell us if Thomas actually touched him. It doesn't tell us. It goes right to Thomas's amazing declaration to Jesus that my Lord and my God. You see, he believes now. He believes what the Christian community was saying. He believes that he's seen the Lord alive and it changes things for him. Jesus says, you believe because you have seen Thomas and that's good. It's really good. But you know what's better? And then Jesus dramatically turns to the camera and looks across the ages to you and me. Blessed are those who will not see, but will believe. I love the TV show, The Office. And one of the things I love about the show the most is that they characters like turn and look at the screen and look at you. A lot of times, you know, actors are trained not to. It's like that fourth wall. But they look at you and they give you this knowing look like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, you're in on the joke, you're in on things, you're part of the story, I work in the office with them, is how it feels. Well, here in the end of verse 20, you have the scripture, the narrator, looking at us and saying, we're going from doubting Thomas to doubting believers today, and saying, blessed are those who see, but blessed are those who come, who will not see, but will believe. The narrator tells us that Jesus did and said so much that was not recorded, but the things that were written were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. You see, at the time of the writing of this gospel, maybe 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus, the initial eyewitnesses are beginning to die off. And although they had hoped and believed that maybe Jesus would come back sooner, he had not. And so they began to write down these accounts for those who will be reading them for now at that time and for generations to come. For that we will see these stories, see all that Jesus did and all that Jesus said, and that we would believe. There's billions that fit into this category. We have not seen. We have not seen. 
yet we believe. But it isn't always easy, right? It isn't always easy. Some days, honestly, it might not even be true. According to scripture, a week passed between the time that Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time and the time that Thomas was there and witnessed Jesus. So Thomas had maybe a week or so to sit with all this. And I've often wondered what those days were like for him. You know, to feel like, I imagine maybe you're the, the odd man out, the one missing. You know, the inside joke, you don't get it and how that feels. I imagine that he had moments of envy and hurt that they had this experience with Jesus and he didn't. Maybe even angry at Jesus if why would you come to them and not me? And I imagine that there were times where he volunteered to go on errands or go up to the rooftop because he was just tired of hearing them talk over and over again about having seen the risen Lord and everything that he said. And I imagine some of us can relate. I imagine there's some of us who are in that week of waiting. There's been a time in our life where we've had moments with Jesus and we've believed in him. But right now he feels like he left or he's nowhere to be seen or maybe even feels like he's dead. And honestly, you just want to experience again. Maybe your doubts are getting louder. Maybe you've had something that's challenged your beliefs. Maybe you've experienced things in life in which you feel like Jesus wasn't there for you. And you look around at those that you know that love and trust Jesus, and you see that they seem to still be experiencing Jesus. They seem to easily believe or have stories of how Jesus was at work in their lives. And to be honest, you want that for yourself. And you've asked Jesus for it. But here you sit, still waiting. The story of Thomas doubting the resurrection of Jesus reminds us about the moments in our lives when our faith is shaken. The voices surrounding us, the death of innocent lives, the loss of life and livelihoods, increase in poverty because of economic uncertainties, depression, mental illness, family strife, relationships that are broken, all of these things create uncertainties in us and fear in us. And I think one of the promising things about this whole story is that Jesus meets Thomas right where he's at. Jesus meets Thomas where he's at with all his fear and his doubts. Yes, he showed up physically for Thomas and let him see and touch his wounds. And we also wish we had the chance to do that, but we can't. We are invited, Jesus says, to believe without seeing We're invited to practice believing, trusting those who have come before us, trusting what Jesus said and what Jesus did, and trusting those in our faith community who give their testimonies of how Jesus is alive and at work in their lives. We're invited to believe even without all the answers because we will never have all the answers. You see, doubt is a normal part of us. It's nothing to be ashamed of, it's nothing to hide, it's nothing to be something that we run from. Theologian Frederick Buechner said this about doubts, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps us awake and moving, and I love that. See, doubt pushes us, it challenges us, 
A faith that is untested, unquestioned, undoubted, is likely one with shallow roots. Honestly, the older that I get, and the more that I study the Bible and study my faith, the more questions I have. And for the most part, I like that. I like God being mysterious and way bigger than the box I had God in for so long. But there's some days that I long for the old black and white days because it was so much easier. Author and seminary professor Tony Cartledge wrote about a time that he was working on a paper when he was doing his PhD work at Duke University and he submitted an assignment where he had written about a passage in Ecclesiastes in the Bible and the Hebrew scripture and he used it for a basis of a sermon. And in the paper he wrote that because of the New Testament witness, we can know there's life beyond and we can know how to get there and we can know our eternity is sure. Well, in every sentence, his professor, Father Roland Murphy, took a red pen and marked through no and replaced it with the word believe. We can believe there's life beyond. We can believe how because of the New Testament, our eternity is sure. We can believe these things, but no. Tony says, it forced me to believe, forced me to confront my own arrogance and that experience became a pivotal step in my faith development. Like Thomas, we can't know everything we want to know. What we can know is Jesus. We can't see Jesus, nor can we touch him as Thomas did, but we can enter a relationship with Jesus. It isn't a knowing that we can prove to anyone else because it's not an empirical or measured thing, but an experiential one. Ted Lasso wants us to believe in ourselves and each other. And that's a good thing. Our world could use so much more of that. We, we, we would be better if we championed one another and told people what we saw in them to help them believe that about themselves as well. Ted believes in his team. And even though they can't see what he sees, he lives it out for them. They watch his life and they see it's true for him and without evidence they can see or touch, they experience the impact of believing and it changes them. Well, John's gospel invites us to believe in Jesus. Not because we have seen Jesus as Thomas did, but because we, like Thomas, have been seen by Jesus. We find Jesus seeing us, meeting us right where we are, doubts and all, showing us the wounds of love in unpredictable ways. As Diana Butler Bass wrote, the story of Thomas invites us to see the unpredictable Jesus who shows up at dinner tables and during long walks and on a fishing trip. There's no rhyme or reason to it except that whenever he appears, his friends know joy and surprise and wonder anew. And they are changed forever. This room, if you look around, this room is full of those who've come to believe, not because they've seen, but because they've heard. They've heard the stories of Jesus. They've heard the difference. Someone told them their story. Someone told them about how Jesus has changed their lives. There was a sermon, a scripture, a prayer, a song, a story. We heard and we came to believe for ourselves in Jesus 
through the work of God's spirit in our lives and in the lives of others. See, John's gospel wants us to believe in Jesus and the community of faith that God gives us. You know, the disciples should have believed Mary, but according to the Gospel of Mark, they did not. And Thomas should have believed the disciples who he trusted and did life with, but he did not. And I think when Jesus questions Thomas as unbelieving, it's not just about not believing that Jesus is alive, but about Thomas not believing the community of faith that he does life with. Do not be unbelieving, Thomas, but believe. See the impact of belief and know that I am the change that caused this. Scripture says we can have greater faith and courage because we trust Thomas and the others saw Jesus on our behalf and told those stories. The gospel writer hopes that hearing all these stories that he wrote about what Jesus said and what Jesus did, he believes that those will be enough for those of us who come behind them to also believe. That is exactly what he says. Having seen this, not even everything Jesus did, I wrote this so that you will believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and you will experience the life that he brings into your life. So the question really this morning is will we? Will we believe? Let's pray. We give thanks for the stories of people like Mary, and Thomas that we find in scripture. We give thanks to those who wrote and shared these stories for those who will come behind. We give thanks for the stories of those in our lives and those across the ages who shared their own stories of believing, their own stories of how Jesus changed their lives. There are, God, a great cloud of witnesses who testify that believing isn't easy but it is life-changing and life-giving, and that the call is to believe in Jesus, not necessarily facts, evidence, those things, but to believe in the person of Jesus, even with all of our questions and doubts. We thank you, Jesus, that you meet us right where we're at, that you're willing to show us your scars and your glory, so we might not be unbelieving, but believe. Holy Spirit, breathe on us today empower us to believe, to be sent as Jesus was sent, and to forgive as Jesus forgives. We pray in his name. Amen.